Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. My name is John D'Alessandro, and this is A Moment with John. I've got a lot of great, exciting things I want to talk to you about today, and it's the beginning of many courses that I'm going to be doing with each of you uh, for the next few weeks. I think it's really important that we tackle this now, and we're going to start that today. So let's get started on discussing this term, white fragility. That's where we're at today. Let's go. So what do you feel when you hear the words white fragility? I, for one, didn't know about this until a few weeks ago. And I've really found a lot of passion around its power. Um, I think it's powerful. Also, too, I want to let you know I'm in a new chair today. I'm sitting in this cool little, like, leather chair that spins so I'm doing I have I'm able to make some movements so that makes me feel a little more comfortable just so you know <laughs> so uh, let me tell you how I stumbled across this term and why I think it's it's really important so it was um, Monday uh, the 25th of May um, I found out this information I found out about George Floyd it was Tuesday, and then Wednesday, everything, it just like opened up, and I started uh, watching a lecture on white fragility by Dr. Robin D'Angelo, and um, it, it like, it just went boom, it just like opened, and I went, oh shit, <laughs> like everything fell into space, in, into place, and um it just, it just was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was unlocking and, um, everything kind of made sense from then on out. And, um, again, I just continued to, to learn new things and, and read. And, uh, I actually started a course with Yale university on the civil rights movement. Um, but I think it's, it's more, it's on the, the war and, and kind of everything in between. So, um, there are free courses available from Yale uh, on a lot of these topics, but they've got a lot of great stuff. So check out Yale's online. Uh, you can start some courses for free and, and it's the entire course testing. Everything is there and it's really wonderful video, audio. Uh, they also have notes, lecture notes as well, which is really cool. Uh, I'm a notes kind of person. So, um, but as I started learning some things and uh, watching watching lectures and watching movies pertaining to um, the civil rights uh, movement and also our current climate too of Black Lives Matter and what that means even while I was in there I was taking notes I was pausing I mean it took I watched a movie the other day um, it's called 13th and it's about the 13th amendment and I, I really encourage you to watch that and that movie it <laughs> I think it's like a, a hundred minute movie uh, so it's like an hour and a half uh, an hour and 40 minutes and it it took me probably almost three hours to watch it because one I, I was in love with all the information and and opening up my eyes to so much so much new information so I uh was back and forth. I was taking notes. I was writing people's names down. I was trying to just 
make sure I was listening and, and really absorbing everything. So it was really fun. And I encourage you to do that too when you watch um, films and documentaries about, about this topic because note-taking can reinforce some information uh, that otherwise you might like to discuss with somebody um, and share. So I think that's another great thing about this whole movement is it has opened up a dialogue in my life that I never, never uh, opened. And um, I'm late to the party. So I'm being a little vulnerable there because I think a lot of us are a little late to it. And um, it's really important. So um, what I'm doing today, because I want to be smart about this, I don't I want to be smart about this. I don't want to just speak out of my ass. Um, I'm a person that really, I don't want to do that ever. So in the time that these weeks have been going on, I've been really trying to find articles that I find really um, impactful and and good to reread or or read to you. Um, So I did find one in the medical news. I think it's medicalnews.org or medical news. No, medicalnews.com. Hold on. I'm sorry, totally wrong. <laughs> uh, it's Medical News Today. Um, they published an article, I want to say, three days ago. What's the date on this article? June 12th, and we are June 14th. So yeah, uh, it's going on three days. So uh, when I came across this article, I really liked the way that they broke this down. And I think it's the... it's it's most appreciated in this form. Uh, and again, it starts that, um, it starts that dialogue. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this article to you, but I'm going to start with, I'm going to do it the way that I, I think, I think works for me when I, especially I've read this a few times already, but reading it, I think in the most impactful way for people to hear if, uh, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm going to do what I want. This is it's still my podcast. <laughs> uh, so let me just pull this up here. If it didn't disappear. Yes. Okay. So the topic is white fragility. That's the discussion today. Um, and again, I just want to make sure that you feel that and you know that this is a space that uh, we're okay. No one's coming after you. Nobody's trying to attack you. <laughs> Um, and I'm not trying to tell you what to do. And I think that's the most important thing. I, I hope that it allows for space for dialogue in your life. And I hope that it makes actions happen in your life that um, empowers you to to learn. And, uh, and, and changes you. Because it, it's changed me. I will say that. Hold on a second. I need my water. It has changed me. Um in a really big way, in a positive way. Because I never had to worry about my skin ever. I never, never had to, and I never will. And that acknowledgement of that really connected me and, and, and just brought life to what this movement is about and how I can get involved and how I can be an ally, right? That's how I really felt about it is... I want to be the best that I can be, you know, in my life. And I think that this has enriched my life in ways that um, it's just, it's hard to explain because I just, I, I get it. I, I definitely get it. Um, and there's so much to learn. I, 
I don't know. I'm just on the surface of all of it. So, um, but I do want to share too that I have spoken with some of the most amazing people. I have had dialogue that I never thought I'd have, um, and just really great connections and friendships that have been reignited around this movement. And um, it's just been really wonderful. So I just want to thank everybody who's uh, been in touch or reached out to me to have conversations and um, most certainly to everybody that I reached out to. I can't thank you enough uh, for wanting to get involved. And uh, with that uh, comes this work of of the podcast and really wanting to be uh, a place of belonging and also being impactful to everybody who, who stumbles upon the podcast and listens to the podcast. Um, but these next few weeks are really catered to maybe helping opening uh, up the eyes and the mind of, of others um, who might not be there yet, and that's okay. Um, the other work that I'm doing is um, I am working on a newsletter that uh, coincides with the podcast, which is really cool because every month, you know, we'll do a few episodes or so, but at least every month there'll be something written and something to share, um, which is really exciting and also keeps the page moving, but keeps everybody on the same page. So it's really neat. Uh, so I'm working with a, a couple of people to make that happen. Um, and our June newsletter is going to be so cool. So I hope you'll uh, stay tuned and, and wait to see where that's at. It should be on our Facebook page. Uh, I'm going to put it on our Instagram and I'll put it down on Twitter as well, but I don't really use Twitter. So let's get started on this. I'm going to take another swig of water and breathe because I don't know what it is. I feel like, I feel like I whisper, you know, cause the mic picks up so much. I can't just talk. And also then my family's sleeping too. So, cause it's late and I don't want to be that loud, but look at me. I don't want to be that loud. I don't want to be that loud. Excuse me. All right, maybe if I back this up, I can talk a little bit more. And I'll put this up here. And that just gives me some breathing room. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is this microphone picks up so much. You'll hear everything, but it is what it is. So let's get started on white fragility. I think you're going to love this. I think this is going to open you up um, if you've not... If you have any current opinions or thoughts around these topics, totally fine. And again, you're welcome to be here. I want you here. And I want you to know that it's okay. I was exactly where you were. If you don't agree with these things or if you can't seem to align with them, I understand it can be really uncomfortable. It was. And until it clicked. And I hope that, you know, what I read to you helps you see this point of view and uh, makes you think about a little more about yourself and how you've maybe been looking at the world for however long you've been living. I'm 27 years old and I can't I can't believe it took me this long to really align and acknowledge you know the great beauty of this life in in this particular way. It's really wild. But anyway, let's get started. So, <laughs> Like I said, I wanted to start with the summary of this article. Again, this is on Medical News Today, White Fragility. The, the title of this is called Everything You Need to Know About White Fragility. So I want to start with the summary because I think 
I think it's awesome. Um, and I think it's a great way to kind of go over what we're going to be discussing. And um, so let's go for it. White fragility refers to feelings and behaviors that occur when white people face racial stressors. They may deny white superiority, but live a segregated life without any concerns about the absence of people of color. Many factors contribute to white fragility, and although it may not be racism, it supports a racist culture. By building racial stamina, however, white people can more openly and critically discuss issues surrounding race. So that's what we're going to get into, and I think... Hmm. Where did I want to start? I know there was one spot. Yeah, I guess we'll start right at the top. So let's check it out. So we'll start at the top of this article. So, yes, there we go. White people in the United States have protection from racial stress. Let me say that again. White people in the United States have protection from racial stress. Engaging in conversations about racism may trigger a range of defensive actions, feelings, and behaviors such as anger, fear, and silence. Although white fragility is not racism, it may contribute to racism by dismissing white domination and racial conditioning. That's what we're going to do today. By developing racial stamina, white people can better address racism and strive to become anti-racist. This article defines white fragility and explains why it's a problem. Okay, so let's do it. What is white fragility? White fragility refers to feelings of discomfort a white person experiences when they witness discussions around racial inequality and injustice. For example, people of color may find it difficult to speak to white people about white privilege and superiority. The white person may become defensive and the person of color may feel obligated to comfort the white person because we live in a white-dominated environment. Okay. White fragility differs from both white privilege and white supremacy. White privilege refers to the fact that white people have advantages in society that others do not. White supremacy is the belief that people with white skin are superior. So let's check out some of the triggers for white fragility. Racial stressors may cause a range of defensive behaviors and emotions. White people may act in a certain way when people of color discuss racism. So these are what some of the reactions are. I think I mentioned them before. But some reactions may include anger, fear, guilt, arguing, silence, leaving the stress-inducing situation. Um, if you guys have ever watched, I think it was, who did the blue eye, brown eye? I think that was, oh, it starts with a J. Blue eye, brown eye. I actually just was watching a, uh, yep, it's, uh, it's Jane Elliott. Check out blue eye, brown eye experiment, uh, with Jane Elliott. That's really cool. That really opens up the conversation too. And you actually get to see. Um, you know, how it makes, uh, how it makes people feel. So, um, let's check it out. So by behaving in these ways, white people may prevent people of color from attempting to talk about racism 
and um, yeah. Different sources of racial stress that white people can experience may come from a person claiming that a white person's views are racist, right? Pointing the finger, getting them agitated, but really using that word racist is, is a hard one to hear. A person of color talking about their racial experiences and perspectives can trigger white people. So if a, if a per person of color or a black person is explaining a time where they were, um, you know, judged uh, upon their race, they may be sharing a story and it may upset a white person to even hear it because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. They don't believe it's even real, some people, which is difficult. A fellow white person not agreeing with another white person's perspectives on racism, right? So I can be talking to another white person and discussing some of the um, privileges that we share. And um, and when I say privileges, I mean literally just our skin and being white is a privilege. Um, so, um, and, it's, and it's almost not our fault that we have privilege, but um, it, it is a great conversation. I really encourage people having conversations about this so a white person receiving feedback that their behavior or actions had racial impacts okay so and again i'm in a leather chair so i'm sliding a little bit too so <laughs> i have to adjust myself a white person being presented with a person of color in a position of leadership can be um, pretty challenging as well other triggers of white fragility may, may include situations wherein the white race is not central. For example, white fragility may occur when watching a movie where a person of color is driving the story's action or is in a non-stereotypical role. I definitely, um, I've felt that way before, um, where you see a black person in a role that you wouldn't expect to see a black person in, or like when you see black people successful in business or um, music or, or leadership, um, it can make, uh, it, it has made me feel like, ah, oh, like how does, how do they have that? Um, it, it's amazing. Um, but we're, we're fragile because we want everything to be about white. So a little bit of history. White fragility is a term that Dr. Robin D'Angelo invented to describe how white people react to issues of racism. Dr. D'Angelo has a PhD in multicultural education, and her specialty is whiteness studies and critical discourse analysis. The term came from a paper Dr. D'Angelo wrote in 2011 on race and social injustice called White Fragility. The term became popular, and Dr. D'Angelo wrote a book on the topic to further explain how white fragility is promote, promoting racism. So how it differs from racism, and this is where right? When you're feeling this discomfort and you're, and you're feeling like, oh no, am I racist? Um, this is where it really clicks in. So how it differs from racism. Some people may define racism as the belief that a particular race is superior to another. However, others may refer to this as racial prejudice. Okay. Sociologists define racism as an unequal distribution of privileges between white people and people of color. Racism occurs when white people benefit from an unequal distribution of privileges and people of color experience deprivation. For example, the one 2019 study examines the various ways in which racism may be impactful to health care and driving racial inequalities in health. This definition of racism only applies to white people due to white privilege. 
Historically, white people have not had to experience the same oppression, inequality, and discrimination that people of color have due to white people holding power. White people may be against the definition of racism, but experiencing white fragility can contribute to racism. A white person defending themselves or arguing against white superiority prevents conscious discussions with people of color about race and racism. Definitely, I can identify with that. So why is this problematic? People experiencing white fragility may not be racist, but their actions, behaviors, and feelings may pr promote racism. Avoiding the topic of race contributes to racism. By disregarding the notions of white superiority and white privilege, racism will continue to hold its place in society. Since white people rarely experience racism, they often cannot feel or understand it. Many people of color describe having been prepared to live as a minority in a racist society by their parents. Due to this absence of understanding and experience, white people lack what Dr. D'Angelo calls racial stamina. However, white people can develop racial stamina by having direct experience with people of color and engaging in sometimes difficult conversations with them. By building racial stamina, white people may be able to manage racial stressors rather than ignoring or silencing them. Conscious and explicit engagement with people of different races can help break the pattern of fragile behaviors and actions related to race. All right. So this is my favorite part about this um, topic because it moves into the sociology and the psychology behind, behind it, okay? So let's check it out. Dr. D'Angelo's research suggests that several factors lead to white fragility in the U.S. These include segregation, which we've definitely seen, universalism and individual, individualism, entitlement to racial comfort, right? I shouldn't have to talk about this. <laughs> racial arrogance. Uh, psychic freedom, and white dominance. So check this out. Most white people live in segregated areas. In these segregated lives, white people receive little information and education about racism. I, I definitely agree with that. We were a pretty diverse um, town, but I think the educational system, we, I've never felt that I had great conversations about race ever in, in my school. I think it's really important that they start something, this means that they may be unable to think about racism critically. This can lead to an inability to consider the perspectives of people of color. Due to segregated living, white people may perceive a good school or a good neighborhood as white. Although discussions about what makes a space good are likely to be racially dependent, white people may deny these ideas. Another factor in white fragility is the idea that people who are People are just people, whereas people of color belong to a race. And this is this is a good one. I really like this. So to them, white people can represent all of humanity, but people of color may only represent their own races and not humanity in general. Although white people may be against racism, they may deny that white privilege exists. By objecting to white privilege, white people contradict their objection to racism. Being in a white dominant culture is comfortable for white people. White people may not feel the need to challenge their perspectives about race. By remaining in this comfortable environment, white people try to avoid the topic of racism. Since white people do not receive teaching to deal with racism in a complex manner, they tend to dismiss more informed perspectives on race 
rather than acknowledging their lack of understanding. Although white people may reject racism, they tend to enjoy a segregated life if people do not label them as racist. In their perspective, if the intention was not if the intention was not to avoid living near people of color, but it happened anyway, it's not segregation. White people may feel racial innocence in such cases. So, if you move into a neighborhood and it's an all-white neighborhood, but you didn't have the intentions of doing that, uh, that you would consider that not being segregated. But um, in other ways, it, it really can be, right? Also, white people may not understand the social burden of race because they understand that race resides in people of color. Since white people may not consider themselves as part of a race, they are free from carrying the burden of race. And that is where I'm going to take a quick second to breathe here. Because that is, that's what it was for me, was going, wait a minute, like, I'm not just white. I'm not just a color white. I'm a, I have a race too. And I know that sounds really like little or, you know, lacking, but I think it, 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 it bodes well to this conversation that I, I never had to think about it. I never had to worry about it. Like if you were to ask me, what are some different races? I wouldn't even think I'd consider mine. <laughs> I don't I don't think I would have even said it. So let's check this out. Constant messages in history, media, and ad- advertising, and from our role models, teachers, and everyday conversations about good neighborhoods and schools reinforce white fragility. These notions promote the idea that white people are better and more important than people of color. So... That's really what I have here. And again, I'm going to finish up with this summary here. But again, white fragility refers to feelings and behaviors that occur when white people face racial stressors. They may deny white superiority, but live a segregated life without any concerns about the absence of people of color. Many factors contribute to white fragility. And although it may not be racism, it does support a racist culture. By building racial stamina, however, white people can more openly and critically discuss issues surrounding race. So that was that article there. And I I really liked it because it was kind of giving you the frameworks of what um, is going on and and what some terms um, are and and how, how we can get a little uncomfortable around it. I don't think anybody wants to be called out, you know. And, and told anything and and that's not what I'm doing um, but I hope it, it opens up it opens up a perspective for you um, to really think about because I had never I had never taken any thought to it um, I didn't feel like I had to because none of, none of this affects me but it does it does affect you and I think for me it the most the hardest part to hear about, this information is just the loss, the loss that is made in, in life in in the life of many people of, um, creating and engaging relationships with black people and in wanting to keep them believing that their, their true feelings and, and humans is very real. And, um, our society has lessened them has lessened them uh, in so many ways, and I think the one that I picked up most and 
some of the re- the reading and the researching and you know watching some lectures and whatnot has it was acknowledging pain for black people acknowledging their emotional pain and um it's just been a wonderful learning experience and um again i'm right on the surface um, and i'm learning so much but i do recommend a couple of resources to check out one go on google search white fragility find dr robin d'angelo talking about her book and having her lecture Um, it's on youtube phenomenal she's got a couple different lectures as well the other thing is i recommend watching the movie 13th Um, it's really great and i'd like to share with you i think i watched it already it was the interview that Oprah did. 13th. Ooh, it's getting late. I got work tomorrow. I'm super excited. Yeah, so this was by Ava DuVernay. Um, and I watched her interview. But it's just got great people in it. Um, just to share a few. Angela Davis is in it. If you don't know Angela Davis, look her up. Newt Gingrich. Everybody knows Newt Gingrich. Um, Brian Stevenson's um, I've seen before. Michelle Alexander. uh, Harry Louis Gates. uh, Van Jones. And there was another... I don't see him listed here. There was a young lady in it um, that I I really liked her conversations too. Um, And Jelani Cobb was really great uh, in it as well. So 13th really just opens up. Oh my goodness, it opened us up so much, so much more. And um, I was really impressed with it. But let me see if I can get an overview. If that's what you'd like. <laughs> ah, yeah. Okay, so filmmaker Ava DuVernay explores the history of racial inequality in the United States, focusing on the fact that the nation's prisons are disproportionately filled with African-Americans. So that's where I recommend that you start. I think you'd be most impressed to find out some of the truths of what's been going on in this country for the longest time. And to end here, I think would be great, but I do want to mention that Black Lives Matter, it's extremely important um, that we recognize for a moment in our lives, just giving ourselves a chance to, but it's not about us right now. We have got to be there for our black communities. And I say that in retrospect to how we've always gotten things done in this country. So in 1920, women were allowed to vote. That was only possible with men getting on board with it and agreeing, right? In 2015, the United States acknowledged that gay marriage was uh, a a right, a freedom, uh, an equal right. Um, and became available across all 50 states. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. So, <laughs> uh, and it took straight people to make that happen, which is a, an, it's an example there, right? Gay, straight, men, women. And now, today, we see the inequalities of, of black people. And, um, well, who's going who's gonna to do it? Who, who's going to make it happen? It's white people. It's us. So um, I definitely recommend starting dialogue, getting uncomfortable, and, and just enjoying it. 
um, it's really wonderful just to open your eyes to this, this space. Um, so I'll leave it there. That was on white fragility. And, uh, I hope you have a great day. We'll be back next week. We've got some really great things for next week and we are going to be working on the newsletter. Hopefully this week we'll have something put together, but I still have a couple of calls to be making this week. I have some faces and, or people that you may know, um, that are getting involved. So I'm excited to share you, uh, with you who I've got involved for this. And I just wanted to double check because we're going to be changing a couple of things for next week's episode, but I'm going to try and do these, um, you know, every few days when I have a chance, but I think we're swapping a couple of things. Um, yeah, I think next week we're going to try and do, or this week we're going to try and do what it means to be an ally. Um, instead of going into black and white trauma, I think we're going to switch that. Um, again, I'm still working with a few people. I want to get involved in these. Um, and then black history and what we've missed, which I had put into a later date. Uh, we might bring that up as well. Um, I think it might be important just to talk about those things sooner than later. But either way, um, I hope uh, you have a great day. I'm, I'm thankful that you listened. And uh, this was a moment with John. I'll talk to you later. Bye.